Welcome to the Kona Edge, where you'll discover what the best triathletes in the world do to give them the edge. Welcome on to this edition of uh, the Kona Edge. I'm Brad Brown, a slightly different version of the Kona Edge today, and it's uh, another one of our special editions. And uh, I wanted to play a segment of one of the sessions that we hosted at our recent 2016 IM Summit, which I think you'll get a ton of value out. Uh, we get many, many emails here at the Kona Edge, and if you'd like to get in touch, uh, the easiest way to do it is to just email me direct. It's brad at thekonaedge.com. Uh, but we get lots and lots of emails asking about Ironman nutrition and what you should be doing before a race and during a race. And I thought I'd share with you a snippet of one of the sessions that we had at the recent IM Summit with uh, functional sports nutritionist Ian Craig. And it was a fascinating chat. Uh, where he literally broke down uh, what you should be doing before the race and what you should be doing during the race from a nutrition point of view. And I wanted to play this little segment uh, with uh, regards to the build-up to an Ironman, what you should be doing from a nutrition point of view, uh, in his opinion. And I think it's a, a fantastic piece, and I hope you do enjoy it. If you want to access the entire uh, recording of that uh, session, as well as all the other sessions, all you have to do is head over to this URL, right now okay it's thekonaedge.com forward slash ian that's i-a-n uh, thekonaedge.com forward slash ian we're running a, a pretty interesting pilot program at the moment if you want to go check it out uh, go check it out right now it's not going to be uh, available for that much longer so uh, yeah make sure you do it right away that's thekonaedge.com forward slash ian i-a-n but let's get straight into uh, this bit of uh, the 2016 im summit with functional sports news Nutritionist Ian Craig. Okay, so that introduces introduces you to the the concepts of, of health that uh, I focus on firstly with my clients. But I'm going to spend a little bit more time on the performance and nutrition uh, today because you know, this is this is why you're here. This is what you get benefit from. Firstly, macronutrient balances, because we're, we're getting a bit more into the, the quantity, quantitative aspects of nutrition here, whereas uh, I put the term quantitative, sorry, qualitative, onto the functional stuff. So let's start with your carbs and fats. So those of you who have been following Tim Knox in South Africa, uh, you'll possibly resonate with that. He's gone, he talks about banting, which is a low, low carb, high fat approach. Um, and personally, he was talking about using that for diabetes, but he's since gone into sport and said, okay, we all need to be consuming a low carb diet. Um, he, he doesn't expressly say that everyone must do this, but he doesn't not. And the perception is that it, it applies to everyone. So he needs to do a little bit of uh, rebalancing with his, his, mess, his messages. Um, and he's actually caused a bit of a rift in other, within other scientists, other peers and uh, in the medical profession. So I just want to show you this one. Ross Tucker is one of his ex-students and he's a prominent scientist in South Africa, works with sports teams. 
And this is a response to Tim Noakes, essentially. So his article was, low-carb diets, a plea for balance, scientific rigor, and death to dogma. So if our intentions are genuine and we want the best possible, possible number of people, we'll see that some people benefit from X and others from Y. If we are rigid and defensive, and if we own our own position too strongly, then we make it less likely that this ever happens. It, it, these are strong words. That was just one of the quotes I pulled out from his article. And uh, I like the way he thinks he read person X is going to be different from person Y requires different, different things. And for every person who would come into my clinic who was doing the banting or the applied Atkins kind of approach, who was doing well and losing weight and have good energy, there'd be one or two that would come in who, would, who were doing badly, and quite a lot who were doing indifferent. And that comes into the genetics again. I use a test called DNA diet, which uh, looks at carb metabolism and fat metabolism. And not accidentally, Tim Noakes has been tested, um, and he's got these carb-resistant genes. So yeah, he himself does need to be very, very careful and selective with carbohydrates, but uh, not everyone does. And it's only maybe two or three people a year who are actually put on a, a quite solid low-carb diet. Okay, here's, a, here's an example of individuality in a very sports context. And um, the authors of this paper are, were actually in Tim Noakes' department. So he's seen a lot of different scientific views over the years, um, which you know, leads Ross Tucker to say, well, you know, why are you being so dogma dogmatic now? Okay, this cycling study, you'll see on the, on the y-axis, you've got time. It was a 100-kilometer cycling time trial. And you'll see that um, most of the times are, are between 120-odd minutes to 160 minutes. So they're pretty fast cyclists. There's a pretty elite group of eight cyclists. Um, the left-hand column is a high-fat diet, the right-hand column is a high-carb diet. So essentially what they did was they put on two different occasions. Each cyclist had to do the trial twice. On one occasion, they did a high-fat diet for a week. That was 70% of calories through fat. That's a very high-fat diet. And then for one day, they did a high-carb diet, which kind of did a, a quick carb load, and then they did the time trial. The, the other occasion was a high-carb diet, which is 70% of carbs, which is also ridiculously high, but not quite as far out as the, the high-fat diet. Um, so yeah, we just did uh, that for a week, uh, and then did the time trial. So as you see from the graph, mostly the high-carb diet, the subjects had a faster the column on the right-hand side is smaller. And most of the lines are going downhill. In other words, they, they, spent, they took a little bit longer to do the time trial on the high fat, a little bit quicker on the, the high carb. But you've got two uphill lines here, one right at the top and one right at the bottom. 
So actually the fastest guy in this subject did better on a high-fat diet, quite a bit better. And the slower subject did quite a bit better as well. That's out of eight subjects, two of them were what you'd call outliers. Okay, That's a quarter, that's 25%. So it's quite significant. So Tim Noakes is right that um, you know some of us actually do uh, do well on a higher fat, low carb approach, but just we can't map it out to everyone. And um, the funnily enough, the research conclusions from this were that um, you know on average, the average statistics were better on, in the high carb scenario. So therefore, we keep with the high carb approach, from which was the normal convention in 2006. So, ideality, we need to view each person, you know, in their own in their own skin. Okay, I just want to go into a touch of physiology to look at fuel supplies, and this is fundamental physiology. This has been in the textbooks for you know decades. So, fat. The 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 width of this of this graph represents how much is available. The height is how fast the energy turnover is uh, you know is capable of so there's a lot of fat but it doesn't turn over too quickly there's, uh, there's there's less carbohydrate although aerobically you can turn over quite well um, and then anaerobically you can there's not much of it but you can turn it over really really quickly so something like a sprint um, you can you can do it pretty quickly, but there's not much energy available to do it for long. Okay, so basically, something like an Ironman, you're out there for all day, so you're not going to be using the red um, block too much. Uh, occasionally, a burst up a hill or a strategic uh, try and catch up somebody, but mostly you're going to be in the the green and the and the blue sections. Fat will provide, give or take, 65% of your VO2 max. So recreationally, you might actually, so 65% represents what you might call an easy run or an easy cycle or an easy swim. So if you're doing the Ironman recreationally, then that will probably provide the vast majority of the nutrients. If you're doing it more, uh, towards an elite standard, 65% is not going to cut the grade. You're going to be more up into the 70s. Some people genetically can handle that, can actually push their fat metabolism up higher. But most need a little bit of carb turnover. Okay, So it's not a case of, OK, are we just doing high fat or are we just doing high carb? We actually need both. And there's a reason why we have the bio, biochemical machinery in our body to actually cope with both. Okay, let me share, share this slide with you. So, you, so this is percentage VO2 max. 25% would be going going for an easy walk. 65% I just explained is a pretty easy aerobic exercise. 85%, okay, that's that might be a top marathon runner uh, during a marathon, you're really pushing the pace. You'll see that the green, the big green sections are muscle glycogen, right? So there's nothing when you're just doing that easy walk. There's a reasonable amount when you're doing the 65%, but there's a huge amount when you're doing the 85%. So 
Ironman, you're going to be 65% up a bit, certainly not up to 85, but 65 maybe into the 70s. There's going to be a fairly balanced contribution from the different fuels. Now, you can train the body in a low-carb low state to use fat better, so you can actually push up the, uh, the sort of purple section of this column more and the blue, that's the fat component and bring down the green a little bit, but you're not going to eliminate the green. You still need some carbohydrate. So let me just talk for a moment about this train low compete high concept. This has been around for a few years. The, the article I've referenced here uh, was 2008. And it's a very good article because it goes into the, the biochemistry of it. And Essentially, what, what Train Low, Compete High does is you might do a, a low-carb, high-fat approach for most of your training period, but then when a competition comes up, you, you throw in a couple of days of uh, carbohydrates loading and then do the competition. So it's basically trying to train your tissues to use fat better in a glycogen-depleted state, but then load up because... According to the previous slide, you're going to need some carbs to, to hit these higher intensities. Okay, so there's pros and cons to this, uh, this method. The pros are glycogen depletion and increases a very important uh, chemical called AMPK, adenosine monophosphate kinase, and basically it's related to ATP as energy. Um, AMP is a depleted or a used up ATP energy state. So if you've got a lot of AMP in your body, it means that it's, um, you're depleted in energy. That itself is a stimulus for more mitochondria, or obviously the little organelles in our cells that uh, produce good energy turnover. So that, that works. But the problem is, the perceived exertion of an exercise bout with a, with a matched workload is much higher in a glycogen-depleted state. So if I had two people of equal fitness and I did one on a low-carb diet, one on a normal mixed diet, and then I sent them both out for a, a 10K run at 16 kilometers an hour, um, the one will probably feel like they normally do, but the other one will feel it's really hard work. They might cope with it, or they might not. But it's a stress on the body to train, because it feels harder, and physiologically it is harder. So guess what? We drive up the cortisol levels by doing that. Cortisol is your stress hormones. And we need a certain amount of cortisol when we're training for uh, stimulation and response. But if we have too much, it can actually rev up inflammation, and it can put a lot of stress on the immune system. And that is not something we particularly want to do. So what the current thinking now in 2016 is around uh, train low, compete high, is actually do some sessions in a depleted state. You know, get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee and go. But don't do it all the time because you, you're going to actually potentially burn your adrenals and, uh, and cause problems further down the line health-wise. 
So um, use it very sensibly. Um, the, the other thing that, the, the other concept that, uh, that's thrown around now is individuality is really, really important. So you get some people, I, I sort of label them as an adrenal type or a thyroid type. So you get some people, they tend to be a bit stockier who are adrenal types. And the adrenals are stronger. They just seem to be able to cope with more, more training and higher loads and recover better. Um, and they can generally cope with the carb-depleted states. But the thyroid type, you know, like myself, tend to be quite slim and uh, prone to stress. And if they do too many sessions in a carb-depleted state, then it can be problematic. Okay, so hopefully that's just given you a little bit of most of you will have read about the trend low compete high concepts, but uh, hopefully that'll just give you a little bit more. There's plenty of reading out there, so do your homework. Don't just jump on the bandwagon. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is look at nutrition for your for your competition. Okay, so we'll start with three days out, and that's the the, the time period where typically you might you might do a carb loading phase traditionally. So do we still do that? I, I'm not a big fan of carb loading per se. I don't, I certainly don't, don't let the body be depleted of carbs. Okay, so there's all old strategies of carb loading where you suddenly are eating, you know, pasta and bread until it comes out of your ears. Um, for Ironman, it's not as critical as marathon because it's a much longer race and you're going to be using uh, fat metabolism much more. Uh, so don't go nuts. What I've represented in this table is a couple of different dietary options where there's a reasonable amount of carbohydrate coming in through like oats or, or bread, um, get some uh, rice and maybe some pasta if you're into that, into the diet, butternut squash, potatoes. But you're not revving up like crazy and you're certainly not depleting either. So they're just average kind of versions, but you know, I need to see people individually to understand what they, what they need. Okay, the last supper, uh, sorry, the last breakfast. Before you go, up, go out and commit yourself to hours of hard work. Okay, here is what I got off the ironman.com website. Uh, for a nervous belly, we've got applesauce, uh, Rice Krispies, peanut butter, and honey. Okay, what does that sound like for a breakfast? That's simply four different items that have been selected based on their calories and their carbs and their fat content and so on. Um, they don't go together. It's not a meal. For the iron stomach, you've got oats, egg, banana, raisins, and walnut. Again, they're not a meal that works together. I have a sensitive stomach before a race. I, I certainly would struggle with that combination. Then we've got hammernutrition.com. Okay, so we get no calories three hours prior to the race. Eating it at the time will negatively affect how your body utilizes its stores of carbs. So, of course, what are they recommending? Take their products 30 to 45 minutes before the race. Okay. Sorry, we're doing an Ironman. We need some breakfast. Okay, so here's a couple of uh, examples from me. Just uh, you can 
you can read through these and, uh, and work out what, what, what's right for you. Um, it needs to be have, have been done in practice. I know exactly the race breakfast that works for me, but it doesn't work for all of my clients, so I'll get them to try it in training. Um, I had one client who did this 200-kilometer uh, cycle race, and he ate a full English breakfast before. All his uh, teammates were eating like Rice Krispies and cornflakes, you know, high carb with their low-fat milk. By 160 k's, uh, you know, he was laughing. Uh, so, but he's an exceptional um, example of a very good uh, uh, somebody with very good digestion capabilities. Okay, pre-swim. Here's my little uh, tip for any race. It doesn't have to be. Uh, an Ironman race, take about 500 mils of your sports strength that you've chosen, mixed up, and just sip it, sip it, sip it, over about half an hour or so. And when you sip it very slowly, it shouldn't push the blood sugars too high. So definitely avoid rapid consumption, because if you push your blood sugars high, what's going to happen? Insulin gets released, it drives the blood sugars back down, just before you get on in the water and you get into a blood sugar roll, which isn't particularly nice. And that's it for another edition of the Cone Edge. I hope you enjoyed uh, that little presentation. If you'd like to access the rest of it, as well as uh, the, the full video, slide decks, the works, all you have to do is head over to theconeedge.com forward slash Ian. That's I-A-N. And you can access uh, all those sessions. There's a whole lot more coming as well uh, within that uh, community. So go check it out. That's theconeedge.com forward slash Ian. Until tomorrow, I'm Brad Brown. Have yourself a great one. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Kona Edge. Nutrition is key to putting world-class performances. Register now for our upcoming free online nutrition seminar on the KonaEdge.com slash nutrition seminar.